To learn more about Dream City Church, you can visit our website where you can join groups, register for events, safely give, and so much more. DreamCityOK.Church It is wonderful to see everybody here this morning. Look at your neighbor and say, it's so good to see you this morning. It is, man. We're going to have a great day, even though it's nasty and wet and rainy outside. So last Sunday night was our very first of many trivia nights. Let me hear it from who was at the trivia night. Man, we had a, a great time, and I want to encourage you that uh, next month we're having another one, I think March 10th, but just a great way for, for people to get together, fellowship, build relationships, and going into the last round, my team was exactly where you might anticipate my team would be, in the lead, of course. But then due to um, some, some, you know, some glitches in the system, uh, some things that we're going to have to definitely address as far as rules and scoring is concerned. Uh, I ended up not winning, but uh, next month we're going we're gonna to make up for that, aren't we? So, hey, seriously, join the team next month. Uh, it's, it's a great, great time. I think our, uh, we're doing like movies next month, I think. So uh, you'll get to see me dress up as something really cool and hang out and have a good time. And, yeah, tonight is Super Bowl Sunday night. Another Another opportunity for you to... Hang out with some other believers, build relationships, and watch the 49ers win the Super Bowl. I, I've really analyzed a lot. I really don't dislike Andy Reid. I really don't dislike Patrick Mahomes all that much. He's a crybaby, but I really hate Taylor Swift. I mean, I, 4 o'clock this morning, people, 4 o'clock this morning, I'm driving to this place. I'm trying to listen to sports radio. I want to hear analysis about the game. I want to, and what do I hear? Someone on, on the radio saying, let's analyze the effect that Taylor Swift has had on the NFL this year. Like, stop it with Taylor Swift for the love, man. She's not that talented. Her songs aren't that great. And she looks like Napoleon Dynamite. She does. Listen, if Taylor Swift was in the great hall playing music right now, I'd go out this, down the ramp out the back door. I would. I have no desire to see her. If Taylor Swift showed up to sing at my funeral, I would come back to life just long enough to say, stop it, woman, and then, then die all over again. I don't care about Taylor Swift. I want to watch football. So that's my spill for today. Of all the talented people on earth, I'm telling you. And what makes it most disheartening to me is that I actually hire people. I pay them good money, and they're like the world's number one Taylor Swift fans. <laughs> oh, it just it hurts my heart so much. So we'll be addressing that in his job performance coming up shortly. We're going to get to the bottom of this. One way or the other, man, I signed the checks, baby. We're going to get to the bottom of this. We're on part three of this series called Dream on Purpose, and we're looking at the life of Joseph. Because I believe God wants to get you from just dreaming dreams 
to walking in your destiny. Because how many of you know you have a destiny? You, you have a plan and a purpose from God. And it's not good enough just to talk about it and dream the dream. You've got to start moving and taking some steps towards there. But as we look at the life of Joseph, we're going to see that there were 10 specific tests that Joseph had to pass in order to get from dream to destiny. And I believe that we're going to have to follow that same trajectory, the same test we're all going to have to pass in our lives. Today I want to start in Genesis chapter 39. Starting in verse 1, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food on his plate. Wow. I mean, it would be so easy to read this verse and think, man, God was really with Joseph. And he was, right? But just, wow, I mean, it sounds like things were going pretty good for, for Joseph. I mean, he had found favor, come on. He had found promotion, even, even some power in Potiphar's house. I mean, really, were, were things that bad for Joseph in Egypt? Like, yes, they were. Because regardless of how much Potiphar used him and, and, and promoted him, Joseph was still a slave. Trapped in a place he didn't want to be. He didn't go there by choice. Doing work he didn't want to do for a godless, heathen man he didn't want to be doing it for. That's the reality. All those promotions, all that power, it's make-believe. He didn't own any of those things. They weren't his. All the promotions in the world benefited his life zero percent. Now, this was something brand new for Joseph's life. Did you know that Joseph's great-granddad was Abraham? The father of faith, one of the most blessed, one of the most wealthy individuals on the face of the planet. And those blessings trickled on down from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob and now to Joseph. So, man, he came from a privileged, wealthy life. And on top of that, he was the favorite son. I mean, I just want you to know that Joseph wasn't going without. And it's easy to, to excel and follow after the Lord when, when everything's going your way and when you're, you're living in a lap of luxury. But for the first time in his life, he's facing hardships. For the first time in his life, he's facing some difficulties. So now Joseph has some choices to make, church. He had already taken the pride test. And if you were here Wednesday, you'd seen that he would already taken the pit test. But now Joseph has to pass the palace test. And it's a test that all of us are going to have to pass at some point in our life too. The palace test happens when you find yourself in a place you don't want to be. With people you may not want to be with. 
doing things you may not particularly love doing and there seems to be no way out. Man, God's got a plan. He's got a destiny for your life. But if you're going to move from dream into walking in that destiny, you're going to have to pass the palace test, friends. Now, here's human nature. Here's, here's our tendency. We give our best. We work wholeheartedly when, when we're passionate about something. Come on, that's true, isn't it? When we find value in doing something, when it makes us feel good, like, ooh, warm and fuzzy, I'm really doing something meaningful with my life. Or if we're getting paid. I mean, there's nothing that we won't passionately do if there's enough dollar signs attached to the end of that. Come on, man, be real this morning. If we're passionate, if we're finding value, if we're getting paid, it's easy to, to do it with all your heart in those situations. But what if you're not passionate? What if you're not feeling valued? What if you feel like you're grossly being underpaid? How do you respond in some of those situations, right? Maybe you've said something like this before in your life. If my boss wasn't such a jerk. That was my staff clapping on the front row. If my boss wasn't such a jerk, maybe I'd work a little bit harder. But that dude... He do, that dude doesn't deserve my best, man. This, this dude is selfish. He's arrogant. Mark, my boss isn't even a believer. And I'm working so hard and making him all this money. And he's just out there wasting it on all sorts of sinful nonsense. No way, man. That guy doesn't deserve my best. Well, maybe you're working for a company. And you've said, man, if that company really valued me. If that company really saw my potential, if they gave me advancement opportunities like they promised to give me in my interview, if all those things were happening, then, yeah, I'd give my best. But guess what? They haven't. So I'm just going to do the bare minimum. I'm going to clock in. I'm going to do what I got to do, and I'm going to clock out. Right? Hey, if the company I worked for, if the health care was a little different, they gave me some decent insurance, if my 401k contributions weren't a joke, yeah, I'd give my best. But guess what? They don't deserve my best. I'm not going to give my best for somebody like that. Maybe you're here this morning, probably not, but maybe if Pastor Mark actually spent time with me, if he actually invested in me, saw my potential, if he would just get out of the way and let me do the ministry that I know God's called me to do without any accountability or oversight, just let me run wild, then, man, yeah, man, I would give, I would serve, I would, I'm going to show up as often as my spouse makes me, come on, somebody, and I'm going to do the bare minimum. Friend, if you fall into any of those categories today, I hate to tell you, but you might be failing the palace test. And just like the pit test, it's a little good news, bad news. Good news is, is that God really loves us. You can say amen to that. That's good news. The bad news is, is that he loves us so much that he'll leave us in the palace and let us take that test over and over and over and over because he believes in your future and he's not going to let you skip any steps, friends. Paul said it like this in Colossians chapter 3. Whatever you do. Now, man, this is a big statement. This is 
broad. This is kind of vague, whatever you do. So I decided, man, I'm going to really do a deep dive. I'm going to study what does this really mean. I'm going to look at the Greek and the context of what does this whatever you do really mean. And so I dove in and I studied. And do you know what I found that this actually means for us today? Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord you are serving. Come on, say it back to me this morning. It is the Lord you are serving. It's the Lord you're serving, friends. You're not working for some evil corporation. You're not working for some rude, ugly boss, and you're not serving some mean old pastor. You are working for the Lord. And when you work for the Lord, he will bless you. He will reward you. He wants to prosper you. If you can pass the palace test, well, Mark, you just don't understand. I mean, my situation, maybe you've dealt with some difficult people in your life, but you ain't never dealt with a difficult boss like me. I mean, this guy is just the worst, on and on and on. And I'm not making light of your situation. I'm really not. But I just want you to press pause a second and understand who Paul was writing this verse to. Because it's very important. Paul wasn't writing this verse to some successful businessman who owned his own place and had a business and... Paul wasn't writing this to somebody who had a, a bright, happy future ahead of them with endless possibilities. That's not who Paul was writing this to. Paul was writing this verse to slaves who were in a place they didn't want to be, doing things they didn't want to do for godless heathen men they didn't want to be doing it for. And God said, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, and I will reward you, and I will bless you, and I will give you an inheritance. Come on, somebody. Whatever you do. No excuses, man. The palace test could also be called, really, the stewardship test. That's really what it is. It's the stewardship test. And what does stewardship mean? Stewardship is the job of supervising or taking care of something that's not yours. And this is what Joseph did. He worked hard and Potiphar was blessed and Potiphar profited greatly and Joseph got none of that because he was taking care of somebody else's business. How many parents do we have in the room this morning? Lots of parents in the room this morning. I've been thinking lately, you know, here at the church we have Celebrate Recovery, the greatest place to be on a Monday night. And we have lots of different groups, man. We got groups if you're struggling with addiction and codependency. We have a group if you're struggling with grief that happens on Thursday nights and step studies. Lots of different groups. But there's one group we don't have that I think we desperately, desperately need. And that is a group for parents who are raising teenagers. We need some support, friends, right? Hi, my name is Mark, and I'm raising teenagers. Like, glad you're here, Mark. We need support. And the craziest thing about raising kids of any age, 
is it's remarkable of how much of yourself you see in those kids, isn't it? It is. And really, it's the negative things that you see from them that really stand out like, oh, my gosh. Right? But it's just amazing. And, 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 and when the kids are, are fighting and, man, they're griping and they're complaining and they're grumbling and just ain't nothing good enough. And it just, when those things are happening, I just can't help but think like, gosh, man, they're acting just like their mom. It's crazy. It's crazy. How much our kids act just like us. But I have a little boy, his name's Sawyer. Man, he lives for the outdoors. He hunts, he fishes. And if I calculate all the money I've spent the last 12 years of his life on hunting and fishing stuff, it's hundreds, probably thousands, probably thousands. And it always ends the exact same way. Every year I get new fishing poles and new tackle boxes and lures are like five or six dollars a piece now. It's crazy. If we keep building back better, we're all going to be broke. It's, uh, it's, it's nuts, right? And every year before the summer's over, those poles are down by the pond, and they're squished in the mud, and the tips are broke off, and the tackle box has been left open, and it's been rained in. Tackle box is full of water. All the lures are rusted. They're ruined every single year. They're ruined. So next year comes around, what do we do? More fishing stuff, more tackle boxes, more. Man, we, we've been on this cycle for years and years and years and years and years and years until... Sawyer last year decided that he was going to take his own money and buy his own fishing pole, tackle box, and lures. And do you want to know where that stuff is today, friends? Sure as heck ain't down by the pond squishing the muds. It's sitting in the corner of his room, all pristine and clean, all itemized and organized. He knows exactly where that stuff is because he paid for it. And that's the difference between ownership and stewardship. When you're invested in something or when you're just using somebody else's stuff. And let me tell you, Fast Nate Kinnon is failing the palace test miserably. The stewardship test, he's failing it miserably. He needs some prayer. But why is this principle so important for our lives today? And it's drastically important. It's so important because this principle directly affects your future, like so few other principles do. Directly affects your future. Look at what Jesus said in Luke chapter 16. Whoever can be trusted with small things can also be trusted with, help me out, whoever is dishonest in little things will be dishonest in big things too. If you cannot be trusted with worldly riches, riches you will not be trusted with the true riches and if you cannot be trusted with the things that belong to someone else, you will not be given anything of your own. If you want to step into the next things that God has for you, you have to learn to take care of things that aren't yours first before God will ever trust you with your own blessings and your own ministries and your own destinies. It's a principle that's so vitally important. It's so, it's so near and dear to my heart because I started doing ministry when I was 16. I started leading worship in my church. I was 16 years old, wildly underqualified, terrible idea on the church's, on the purchase part. But anyways, 16 years old. And for the next 19 years, 19 years, I served other ministries, I served other leaders, and I chased after their dreams. For 19 
years. That's how I live my life. Hey, some leaders were good. Some leaders were not. Some leaders made good decisions. Some made terrible decisions. Some days I learned, man, what to do. And a whole lot more days I learned what not to do. Right? Some days I loved what God had called me to do. And other days I absolutely hated it. And for 16 years of my life, I made zero dollars serving in ministry. Zero. It blows my mind. People come to me today like, oh, I'm passionate for this and I'm passionate for that. And if the church would just bring me on staff, like, staff? I volunteered for 16 years, worked two, three, four jobs just to make ends meet so I could do what I was actually passionate about doing. Don't tell me you're passionate about something if you're not already busy doing it, friends. No excuses. 16 years, I served. I attended, I prayed, I gave, and I served. The exact same thing I ask all of our partners, all the people who just partnered today, that's what they agreed to do. I'm going to attend, I'm going to pray, I'm going to give, I'm going to serve. That's what I did for 16 years. Man, I was loyal. I was faithful. I was committed. I wasn't perfect. I made lots of mistakes. Got My heart got ugly sometimes. Like, I'm not bragging on me. But that, that's what I did because I believed in this principle, a biblical principle that you will reap what you sow. And that's not just about money. It's not a money principle. It is a money principle. It's a life principle. And I have seen that principle play out so many times in my life over the past several years. Do you know when we started this journey together five years ago, did you know we had 35 active volunteers? 35. Did you know today we have over 400 active volunteers? You reap what you sow, man. You serve, you serve, you serve. All sorts of ministries and pastors dealing with all sorts of drama and heartache and discord. And I don't deal with any of that stuff, man, because you will not find a more loyal, committed, passionate group of people that exist here at Dream City Church. But I sowed loyalty, I sowed commitment, I sowed passion, and that's what I read, friends. For 19 years, I took care of somebody else's ministry. And I took care of somebody else's dream until God says, you ready for your own. Everybody wants this part of the journey, but where were you the previous 19 years when you're struggling and working and serving? If you want to be here, you got to do the other 19, friends. You can't skip that step. And some of us, we, we're, we're, we're reaping things in our life that we're not really enjoying. God, why is this happening? God, why is this happening? God, what about this? What about this? Friends, is it possible that you're reaping bad fruit because you sowed bad seeds? If you go plant an apple tree, you can't get upset when you go out there and say, hey, where's my freaking orange? It's not the apple tree's fault. You planted an apple tree. It's going to give you apples. You can't plant okra in your garden and then go out there and expect to get tomatoes. That's not how it works, friends. Maybe God's not the problem in your life. Maybe the problem is you. Sow something different. Do something different if you want to see God do something different in your lives. 
Oh, I got to hurry and get off this stage, man. Speaking of tomatoes, people are picking them up. Here we go. Yeah. If you want to pass the palace test, the stewardship test, you got to first determine what is it that I'm stewarding? What is it? Well, what is it that I'm stewarding? What actually belongs to me and what actually doesn't belong to me? I think there's three things that we all have in common in this room this morning. The first one is this. We all have time. We don't know how much. Your life is like a vapor. Here one second, gone the next. But you're here this moment so we know that you at least have some time. You have some. But you need to ask yourself, is it mine? Does this time actually belong to me? Well, Psalms 139 says, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment laid out before a single day had passed. It sounds like at the very least, he at least has a plan for that time. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. That means Mark Hinnon died. I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. If I'm dead and my life is hidden in Christ, then it would appear to me that time is not my own. It belongs to him. Every last second of it. And if my time belongs to him, we have to ask ourselves, how are we stewarding that time that he's given us? Am I living selfishly? Am I spending that time aimlessly or am I spending that time with eternity and the future in mind? It's not mine to spend. It's his. The second thing we all have in common, friends, is we all have talent. Every person in this room has giftings and abilities and talents. But are they yours? Well, I'm not sure. Are they, Mark? Well, let me ask you this question. Did you choose your talent? No. No. Right? You had absolutely nothing to do with it, didn't you? Right? Man, my dad and my brother, they're here. There's nothing they can't build. There's nothing they can't put back together. Nothing they can't tear apart and fit. There's nothing they can't, nothing they can't do with their hands. I don't even own a tackle box. I mean, I don't even own a toolbox. Erica's got a little pink one. She fixes things. I did not get that talent. I didn't choose that. I wish I had some of that talent. I don't. I feel like a wuss sometimes. It's not very manly for your wife to have a pink toolbox, right? But I didn't choose it. But you want to hear what sounds like a bunch of dogs getting whipped? That's my dad and my brother trying to sing. They didn't get that talent. We didn't choose those talents, man. It's bad. It's real bad. There's a reason they ain't on the stage, right? I didn't choose it. I didn't create it. You're not, you're, you didn't choose it. You didn't create it. You're the recipient of it. And he gave it to you because he wants you to use it to accomplish his plans and his purposes that he created you to do. Friend, those talents, those gifts, those abilities, they're on loan to you. They're not yours. How are you stewarding those gifts, those talents? What are you doing with them? Are you living selfishly? Are you living aimlessly, only looking to benefit yourself? Can I tell you how you steward your talents matters? It's a big deal. Jesus told a story that there was a master going out of town. He had three servants. The first servant he gave five talents. The next servant he gave two. The last servant he gave one talent. The servant who got five talents, man, he went to work. He got after it. He took those five talents, double it, got five more. Same with the guy with two talents. He got to work. He did all he could do with those two talents, man. He doubled them, turned those two into four. The guy with one talent, he buried it. 
I didn't get much from the Lord. He seems mean. He seems a little uh, scary. I'm, I'm going to bury this talent. The master comes back. The guy who had five talents, he brought those five more. The master said, well done, good and faithful servant. Come on, enjoy your rest. The guy with two, same thing. Brought those four up and the master said, well done, good and faithful servant. Come on, enjoy your rest. Here comes the guy with one talent. And the master's like, oh, it's no big deal, man. You did your best. Good try. That's not at all what he said. He says this, you wicked, lazy servant. And cast him into the outer darkness. Wow. I'm telling you, what you do with the talents, the gifts, and the abilities that God gave you, they matter. He didn't just give them to you just because. He intends for you to use them. How are you stewarding those talents? And are you allowing God to accomplish something through those gifts and those talents that you have? Lastly, in closing, what we all have in common is we all have treasure. We all have treasure. Here we go. We're talking about money. Preachers are always talking about money. Money, possessions, that's like the smallest part of treasure, right? I mean, they're necessities. I got a wife and two kids that there's no amount of money on planet earth that I would take for. Which means that they're priceless. Which means that I am wealthy beyond my wildest imagination. You are so blessed and so wealthy. Is that treasure yours? Or does it belong to him? Well, Mark, I worked hard. I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. I, maybe you did. Maybe you did. But I don't think without the hand of a blessing on your life that you could accomplish much without God. I really don't. James chapter 1 says this, every good and perfect gift is from above. Psalms 89 says it like this, the passion version, I love it. All we are and have, we owe to God. All we are and all we have, we owe to God. So sorry, friend. I believe that your money isn't your money. That your possessions aren't your possession. That that marriage isn't your marriage, that those kids aren't your kids, that those blessings aren't your blessings. Those treasures aren't your treasures. They've been given to you, and how are you stewarding those blessings? How are you stewarding that treasure? Let me ask you a few questions. Is God first in your finances? Do you honor God in your finances? Do you obey God with your finances? Scripture's pretty clear. Do you consult God with your finances or are you living selfishly, aimlessly? Is God first in your possessions? Are you living selfishly, aimlessly, or are you using the blessings of God to bless others? Do you own your possessions or do your possessions own you? Who's serving who? How are you stewarding the possessions that God's blessed you with? Is God first in your family? in your marriage, in your kids. Those kids don't belong to you. They're his that he entrusted you with to teach, to train, to raise up because he has a plan and purpose for their life. Is God first in your family? There's lots of other gods out there. 
that our families are being lost to today. There's lots of other gods. They don't sound so evil. Little league sport God. Hunting God, fishing God. He gets a lot of traction. Vacation God, late God. Possession God, God of debt. Lots of things in the world that we're losing our families to. How are you stewarding those kids? How are you stewarding that family? It's always baffling to me. If I had a little soapbox, I'd just hop up on it real fast. It's always baffling to me. It's totally cool to skip church for a ball game or for practice. Totally cool to skip church for late day, hunting day, vacation day. And, and listen, I, I do all those things. My kids play sports and we, we, we do ball and practice and vacation and hunt. And fish. I'm not speaking against that whatsoever. I just find it peculiar. It's totally okay to skip church for ball. But when was the last time that you skipped ball for church? What? Oh, God's first in my life, Brother Mark. He's a, is he though? Why does that only work one direction? We, we, we get these schedules that no human could ever attain to. Go, 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 go. And, and we're about to have a nervous breakdown, and so it's time to cut some things out of our life. What's the first thing to go every single time? Church. Every time. Every time. I've been in ministry for 24 years, friend. Every time. Well, we're not going to make it to youth tonight. Well, pastor, not going to make it this Sunday. Why? Why is God always the first thing that gets cut? How are you stewarding those kids? The enemy is out to destroy them. And some of you are more concerned with their spot on the daggum ball team than you are concerned with their spot in eternity, friends. And we got some things way out of balance. I know little Johnny's going to be the next Nolan Ryan. I get it. I'm sure he is. He's the one. The one out of 22,000. He's it. But maybe, just maybe, you're not stewarding your family the way that God's asking you to steward your family. Would you like me to give you the secret to success today, friends? Because I got it, man. The secret to eternal success. I got it. Take all of that time, all of that talent, all of that treasure that God has blessed you with, turn it around and give it right back to Jesus. Say, God, you've given me one life and I want to live every second for you. These talents you've given me, these abilities, I'm tired of living selfishly. Use me to advance your kingdom and to see souls saved, God. My marriage, my kids, my family, my bank account, all my, God, everything I have belongs to you. Woo, when you Give your life to Jesus. It's unbelievable what you get in return, friends. Put it on the screen, this last slide. It's one of the wisest words you're ever going to hear. Spoken by a man named Jim Elliott, who died a martyr in Ecuador, trying to reach the Aka Indians. Before he died, these are the words that he said. He knew it was dangerous. He knew that his life was, could be lost. And these are the words that he said. You've got to get deep in your heart today. He is no fool to give that which he cannot keep in order to gain 
that which he cannot lose. Friends, I'm not living for this life, Dream City. I'm living for eternity. And everything that I have belongs to Jesus. I don't care what I have to give up here because compared to what I'm gaining here, there is no comparison, friend. Give and give and give. God has entrusted you. Pass the palace test. Pass the stewardship test. Don't stay where you are. God's got way too much in store for your future. Stand your feet this morning. Lord, I love you so much. I thank you for the work you're doing in our lives, God. Lord, that you brought us this far and you are fully committed to finish the work that you started in our lives, God. We thank you for what you've done, what you're doing, what you're going to continue to do. We bless you this morning. In the beautiful name of Jesus, everybody said, I love you so much. See you Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. God bless you.